Yeah. <laughs> um, as I set my timer to 45 minutes and go for two and a half hours. <laughs> um, but as we, as we continue our conversation in the church's anatomy, um, I am extremely encouraged. Again, I say, I am extremely encouraged with what God is doing um, and building this, what some people would consider a core group. Um, that's a church planting lingo. That's the group that would always, that kind of carries the, the burden of the church um, as people are being added by the Lord um, to come. He's really getting us to, to dig deeper into his word and see what a biblical church is supposed to look like. Um, so we've seen the framework. And one of the things that I was thinking about this week is the first five spiritual attitudes we looked at are directly tied to um, the first two frameworks, right? A high view of God and um, authority of Scripture or absolute authority of Scripture, those, those two skeletal frameworks. Because you think of obedience, right? You think of humility, you think of love, you think of unity, and really you think of willingness to serve. You see how it's, those things are related to um, high view of God. It's because we have a high view of God. It's because we know the absolute authority of Scripture as a church, as a framework that we love and we, we are united. Um, and I'm, I'm, you, I want to kind of cause you to pay attention to we're going to kind of have a switch to um, the other frameworks. Uh, personal holiness being one of them. Especially as we talk about today, self-discipline. That's directly related to the framework of personal holiness. Because that's a non-negotiable framework of our church, self-discipline as we would consider it today, would be related into that. So it, think of it as within that framework, uh, you have uh, uh, absolute authority of Scripture, you have high view of God, and then those other four can kind of fall underneath that. And then you have another um, framework where that framework is personal holiness and self-discipline would, would fall underneath that. Directly. I'm not saying that self-discipline has nothing to do with high view of God or absolute authority of Scripture, but it's just, it hits directly to personal holiness. 
and if we are committed to personal holiness as a non-negotiable, um, as we consider self-discipline as a spiritual attitude, that's where it falls under. Because ultimately, we are called... Do you get one of these, Sam? All of us individually are called to live as saints in a, in a body of death, what Paul calls the body of death in Romans chapter 7, living in a fallen world ruled by Satan himself. It almost sounds like a setup to like a, a not funny practical joke. Right? right? Like you are to live as a saint, but you live in this weak, like sin-loving body. And then not only you live in that kind of body, that we live in that kind of body, we live in a world, all we got to do is just scroll on our social media page or turn on the TV and see the corruption and the pressures that it, that it provides. And we all know who's behind all of that, pulling the strings, hiding in the shadows, is the devil himself. And he's pretty smart, pretty crafty. I mean, the whole reason why we are in this mess in the first place is because of his craftiness, right? And as long as we say, how am I supposed to live as a saint? And I think it becomes apparent to us that the spiritual attitude of self-discipline is required if we are to live as a saint in a sinful body in a fallen world that's ruled by Satan. And that's where our introduction brings us because the flesh, the world and the enemy do not want us to conform to God's standards they don't, the flesh is too comfortable in its sinfulness or indulging its own desires the world doesn't want anything to do with, with, with God and the enemy, obviously, is orchestrating all of that and using the weakness of the flesh. So we need to cultivate this spiritual attitude of self-discipline. And can I can I put the emphasis on spiritual? Like if you if if you have a pen, I would I would underline spiritual. <laughs> Honestly. I say underlined spiritual because it is the spirit that produces any of these attitudes that we've been talking about. I mean, we can try to manufacture some kind of alternative attitude that's not really spiritual or artificial attitudes that resemble obedience, that resemble humility, that resemble love, that resemble unity, that resemble willingness to serve. We can, we can try to do that. Even self-discipline. 
we can try and try and try. And that's, by the way, how false religions are formed. (laughs) But the true spiritual attitude of self-discipline is only produced by the working of the Holy Spirit himself. And self-discipline becomes the means by which Christians as an individual and as a church pursue a lifestyle that conforms to God's standards. That's what self-discipline is. Like there's a standard where we, we know how to live. We're called to, to be what? What are we called to do as Christians? Help me, somebody. To be holy, yeah. To be holy like God is holy, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because the standards have to be clear, right? If it's to be holy like I'm holy, then all you got to do, all the standard is is me. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, full disclosure, you don't have to do too much self-discipline to be as holy as I am, personally. If the standard is, I don't know, a pope or something, then, you know, you can negotiate that. You can create something like that. If the standard is any kind of saint, you can kind of create your own standards and then negotiate your way away to, to, to meet those standards, which is not really produced by the Spirit Himself. But God has designed self-discipline to be that way. Um, and as I was thinking about self-discipline, and I'm kind of using my crutch, that is the um, master's plan for the church. The passage that... Um, that he used to talk about self-discipline. Hey, Colin. Is um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. I think it's up there. And we'll read it together and kind of see what we can learn about this spiritual attitude of self-discipline. Paul writes, Don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. As an aside, this passage kind of hit close to home. I had to do a lot of internal work 
where the Lord had to do a lot of internal work um, before I'm, I'm standing before you this morning or this afternoon. See, you messed me up. I'm blaming you. I say good morning to her. But I want us to notice the metaphor that Paul uses here to talk about self-discipline or the Christian life even. The metaphor is of an athlete, right? Uh, a, a runner. But not just any athlete, not just any runner, but it's a runner who wants to win. You see that, right? We're, we're talking about a competitive athlete. There's a difference between um, competitive athletes and recreational athletes, right? There really is. I mean, I mean, right now I'm not. Well, I'm not a, a I'm not into any competitive sports. No, I play. I played sports competitively, and then I played sports and. In a recreational, uh, we can relate to that, right? How do you play when you play for rec? Or like, what is the goal? Yeah, to have fun. Like we just got a ball and went outside and shoveled the snow and started, I don't know, hooping or playing soccer or whatever. We're just kind of doing it to enjoy ourselves and to find enjoyment in but if we turn the TV on and turn to ESPN, as many million are doing, or Fox or CBS, whatever, the playoff games are coming. I mean, there are going to be 22 people on the field right now, like, just going at it, chasing after one ball. Really competitive because they're after a prize. So what Paul is talking about is not the recreational athlete, it's the competitive athlete. And Paul is comparing the Corinthian church here as um, this competitive athlete. That's why it's underlined as run that you may obtain it. Run that you may. That's the command, by the way. That's an imperative. It's like, okay, you know this truth. Like, a competitive athlete runs, but only one is one who receives the prize. So, in that same way, run this race of faith. Actually, I like the NASB. The NASB says, run in such a way as to obtain it, or to obtain it. Run in such a way to obtain it. In such a way, meaning going back to saying the way that a competitive athlete would run his race. With a kind of focus, with, with, with a kind of like effort that goes into that. Some of us don't know how to turn, how to turn that off. I can't, I can't do recreational sports as soon as I start playing personally it's just 
my mind automatically goes into like autopilot and I get super competitive. I mean, I can't even play recreational ping pong in our game room. <laughs> like I got to win, man. Like that's it. Like we're, we're competing. And I get all tense and my heart start beating fast. And that, you know, like I'm super laser focused. I'm like, I don't care. Just smack it. And that's really what Paul is encouraging, not in a sinful way, but that's what Paul is encouraging and commanding the Corinthian church to do. Run in such a way that you may earn the price. What is the price? Verse 25 tells us that it's not perishable, it's imperishable thing. The prize is not an earthly status, it's not an earthly glory, it's not an earthly honor, or any kind of materialistic prize that would perish, but it's an imperishable and eternal prize. Let's think about practically what that looks like. Let's look at our lives. Let's look at churches as a church. We can, we can really look at churches, especially coming from outside and looking in, and notice that there's a lot of churches that have recreational athletes for members. Right? They're just there to be entertained, just for fun, or to get something out of it, but not necessarily to run a race as, a, as they have a prize at the end of it. We want to avoid that. That's why we really are considering the spiritual attitude. Now, that's not to say that these church members aren't saved. Only God knows. But in as much as they, are, they have put their trust in Jesus and have repented from their sin, they are saved. But... The prize, however, many of us would be missing out if we are going to live our lives, if we are going to be a church as full of recreational athletes, not competitive ones, not even competing against one another. It's just we're just going in that direction together, right? We don't want us to miss out on the prize. Because the prize, the prize is something that is given for victory. That's what he says. Only one receives the prize. Which one? The one who wins it. The one who overcomes. The one who's victorious. And we see the Lord actually talking to the seven churches in Revelation. Seven churches. Repeating the same thing over and over again. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. I think it's up there, right? I don't have a clicker, though. Oh. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life. Does that sound like a victory and a prize? Revelation 2, 11. 
I mean, by the way, if just he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If it doesn't get any clearer than that, like it's actually the Lord by his Spirit talking to his churches and affirming what Paul is commanding the, uh, the, the church in Corinth to cultivate. Revelation 2.11, again, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 2.17, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name. Revelation 2.26, the one who conquers, I will give him authority over the nations. Revelation 3 and 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. Revelation 3.12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Revelation 3.21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Prize is given to a one who is victorious, the one who is going to conquer, the one who is going to run the race the way that a competitive athlete is supposed to, and Jesus himself promises this. Back to our text in First Corinthians. Paul talks about in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. An interesting thing that I found in, in studying this, this word for an athlete, an original is a term used for like struggling. It's not what we think in 21st century. You think athlete, LeBron James. A billionaire walking around living in a fancy house, spending millions of dollars to take care of his body, right? Steph Curry, whatever. Ronaldo, Messi, whatever sport you're in, too. I can't think of any baseball players. So please forgive me if there's any baseball fans in here. Right? Tom Brady, whatever. That's what we think. And their life is so magnificent, at least from the outside in. That's what we, no, these are people that struggle. These are terms that are used for like boxers and wrestlers in the Greek. And what Paul is saying is these people, these athletes, go through a rigorous exercise regimen. They have a workout plan. I mean, those of you that are that go to the gym or have gone to the gym in, in the past and have set a goal of whatever, gaining strength or losing weight, whatever it is, you, you've seen it. You put yourself through a very hard struggle. Sometimes the struggle is getting out of bed. I feel like I'm telling on myself a little bit. Because my gym... I go to the gym at 5 a.m., three times a week. 
I think lifting weights is not as heavy as getting out of bed at five. Because I'm reasoning with myself. Every, every time, it never fails. You can go at 11. No, I got to get up. It's a struggle getting up. That's just five more minutes. It's 425. You were supposed to wake up at 430. You got five more minutes. And before I know it, I'm, it's like 720. If I ever, and I've done it. Yeah, well, some of you, if not all of you, can relate to that. It's really a struggle, right? So it's not just the physical struggle, but also the, the mental struggle that goes through that. These competitive athletes go and put themselves through this rigorous exercise regimen. Who's that guy? What's that guy's name? Um, stay hard guy. What's his name? Get, there you go. How that guy's, man. It's insane. The kind of self-discipline, right? And then we, we listen to the David Goggins. Like everybody knows, you know who David Goggins is? Who doesn't know who David Goggins is in here? I expected you to do that. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> but why why do we think he's influential? Why do you think he's influential in our culture today? He represents something we wish we had. And Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about the David Goggins of their their day. (laughs) Right? He said, this is what these people do. They exercise self-control. They resolve in their mind a level of self-control. So in, 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 in this athlete's mind, there's a resolution to control his own bodily and physical desires in such a way that would cause him to move into action. That's what it is. That's where it starts. And then you kind of tell your body, right? Your mind tells your body to get up and, and work towards the thing that you're aiming at. And these athletes are resolved to do this. And Paul's description is of that way of the way that he strives is not, by the way, marked by uncertainty. That's why he says, okay, they they self-control. So he says, I, that's what they do, but I, as a believer, now we're we're talking about believers. We get it in David Goggins, great, we follow him. We like his page, whatever, like, subscribe, and share, all of that. But now Paul is bringing it to himself. And I really want us to to consider, as we consider the spiritual attitude of self-control, where am I at? So I don't run aimlessly, Paul says. I don't strive in this way marked by uncertainty or there's not I'm not running without a goal 
there is a set goal for the church. There is a set goal for the believer, for you and I. It's, it's not as if, like, why David Goggins doing it? You ask 10 people, you get 10 different answers. Why do you like? But we have one main goal. And, and Paul's argument is, uh, this, this, uh, this portion is actually a continuation of what he talks about, how he is a fellow partaker of the gospel, and his, he won't be robbed of that prize of saving people by preaching the gospel to them. In verse 22 and 23, right before that, his goal is to save souls and to be a fellow part, partaker of the, the work of the gospel. And we as a church, now when we bring it to ourselves, we have the same goal, don't we? Christ didn't just save us so that we can entertain one another every Sunday or every time we get together and then just have fun and leave. Christ didn't establish His church on earth. And I don't mean as a organization, but as a living organism, as, as those who are called out from darkness into light. Christ didn't just put us here so that we can kind of just be a recreational like group of people. There's a specific goal. We are to be partakers of the work of the gospel. We are to be light and salt to the community. We are to bring the gospel to our neighbors, to our friends, to our co-workers, to, to our family members even, to one another. The same way Paul was doing. Paul actually says, I've become all things to all men. To the Jew, I was a Jew. To the Gentile, I was a Gentile. To the weak, I was weak. To the strong, I was strong. I mean, everything, just whatever, for the sake of the gospel. As a church, we have the same goal. As individuals, we have the same goal. But collectively, as a church, as members of the same body, we have the same goal. And we should never lose sight of that. That's our goal. So we don't run aimlessly. I remember when um, Uriel came in here and he's, he asked me, what makes your church different than the rest of the churches on Franconia Road? And I told him, I hope not much. I hope everybody is running to that same goal. Remember? I hope we're not that different that we're trying to save souls and we're trying to be salt and light and they're trying to be, I don't know, hip and relevant and accommodating to the culture. I hope not. I pray not. We have the same goal as a church as Paul did. That's the ultimate reason for our exercise in self-control. The reason why we want to 
embrace, I don't even want to say cultivate self-control. But you can you can cultivate it, embrace it. The spiritual attitude of self-control is because of that goal. That's the ultimate reason. Notice, by the way, this is not like an ideological thing for Paul. Self-control is not a theoretical or a theological thing. He's, he's not shadow boxing. He says that right there. I mean, he doesn't say shadow boxing, but he says, I do not box as one beating the air. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's really visual, right? It's amazing. I can't. When people say the Bible's boring, I'm like, nah, man, I, I'm just not reading it the way it's supposed to be read. Like, I imagine Paul, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm not, I'm not punching nobody, just air. I'm not shadow boxing. There's a specific target. A real target that Paul's punches are landing on. What is that target? I discipline my body. The word for discipline actually means to make, literally, to give a black eye. Like Paul is like bruising his body. He's given himself a black eye so that he can keep it under control. If the flesh and its desires are kept under control, it becomes difficult for the world to exert its pressure on us, right? All the temptation, all the pressure that the world is constantly putting on us individually and as a church if our flesh is in check it becomes less difficult I didn't say notice by the way I didn't say it would stop to exist it just becomes less difficult for the world to exert this pressure on us and we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil that's what we're called to do. Stand firm. That's spiritual battle. Put on the full armor of God to do what? To stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Come circling back to um, my first emphasis on how this is not accomplished by our own will, by our own desire, by our own efforts in and of itself. Are we responsible? Yes. Am I saying that we're completely passengers to this and we just kind of just wait and then we don't participate in this? No, that's not what I'm saying. But this is accomplished not by simply trying really, really hard to be self-disciplined. 
but it's accomplished by the Spirit. L- listen to what Paul says, and you can look up there too, what Paul says in Romans 8 and 13. If you want to dominate your body, you must put it to death. By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. What's the means by which you put to death the work of the body? I mean, it's by the Spirit. I think it's the King James that says, mortify the deeds of the body. And it's one of the, my favorite books written by John Owen called Mortification of Sin. I think Mattel is reading it. Where is she go? Um, I was reading it right now. Mortification of Sin. And that's, that's all it is. By the Spirit. Galatians 5 and 16. Paul tells us, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You want to keep your, your, your body in check and discipline your body and beat it up and make it your, your, your slave. That's what you want to do. You do it by the Spirit. Not by working really, 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 really hard. It's the Spirit that does it. So how does that work? Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Paul tells us, work out your, your own salvation with fear and trembling. So you're saved. Now you're supposed to work it out with an attitude of fear and trembling. So you're responsible But we say it's by the Spirit. How does that work? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So God gives you the willingness and the strength to work it out. But you're supposed to do it. So it's it's not an either or, it's a both end. Because the goal of self-discipline ultimately is authenticity. And it hit me like a ton of bricks when I, when I read this back in our text. And I, I, was, I was so taken by, by it. I was looking at it last night. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That word for disqualified. It refers to authenticity. It has a sense of so that I'm not seen as phony. So we're not. Paul is so worried about not coming across as fraudulent. In a culture like today, where realness and authenticity is prime, right? It's, it's, it's like what everybody wants to be is authentic. Be yourself. Be your authentic self. That's the really what everybody is seeking after. Except for they're not doing it by the Spirit, so they're doing it from the position of the flesh. So it's all upside down. And so they're, they're, they're actually trying to tell us up is down and down is up. 
possible and worried about this. We do not want to come across as fraudulent believers, phony Christians, a fake church, having this attitude of self-discipline would guard us from being phony Christians and a fake church. Because we can go and say, Jesus loves you, come be saved, go to heaven, turn from your sin. And people can honestly and truthfully come to, to, to faith in Christ and receive salvation. But we can still be phony. God can still use phony churches to save people. Yeah. But we want to cultivate this spiritual attitude and embrace it and make it our own so that we're not a, a bogus, misleading church. So we as a church must consider ourselves. This is the application, and I'll just open it up for questions. We must consider uh, ourselves as runners, as, as competitive athletes. Called to a competitive race with a goal of obtaining a heavenly prize. With a goal of, I mean, think of the heavenly prize, guys. I mean, when one soul comes to faith in Christ, when you go out and you, you minister the gospel to somebody and, and one soul receives Christ and they, nothing dramatic happens on earth. I mean, you might feel satisfied or accomplished. You might praise God. But remember what Jesus said? happens when one person is saved what happens it's a big old party in heaven and you get a red for that that's that's your crown of glory There's this heavenly reality where you, God uses you to save someone, and then you're in that moment you're kind of receiving. You guys seen the Olympics, right? When they get gold or whatever, after they get the gold medal and, and whatever, um, they usually have this leaf that's woven together in a circle and then put it on their head. That's what Paul is talking about, the wrath, by the way. That, that's why the Olympics, Greeks, and all of those things, that, that came from, from the time. Of, so the Corinthians and us, we can kind of, that's what, but that, that leaf, what happens to that leaf? It withers away. Like, I don't even think it lasts until the, the next competition. <laughs> but for us, we have this amazing, non-perishable, eternal wrath. This heavenly prize. So we must consider ourselves 
as runners called to this competitive race with a goal of obtaining this heavenly prize. To that end, we must resolve to control our fleshly desires. And those desires don't have to be bad, by the way. Right? We, we hear fleshly desires. Here, Paul, more specifically, is talking about what disqualifies a preacher from being a preacher. What makes him a phony preacher? Right? It's, it's the sinful lifestyle might even have um, some commentaries that say it's sexual sin in, in, his, in, in mind when he's talking about this. Right? But those desires can also be convenience, laziness, right? Things that we talked about last week. So we must learn to, 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 to curb those, to control those, to, to deal a blow in a way that it bruises that, that place. Right? That's what self-control, that discipline means. To deal a blow in that way and be actively engaged. And the action of being light and salt to our community so that we can be a church where the authenticity of the gospel. That is the love of God in Christ by the Spirit can be discovered and rediscovered. That's, that's, that's our motto, right? Discover and rediscover the love of God through Christ by the power of the Spirit. That's, that's what we want to be as a church. But we want to do it in authenticity. We don't want to just say that on our logo or uh, in our vision statement on our website and actually not be those people that are actively engaged in pursuing that life. In order to do that, we need to cultivate the spiritual attitude of self-discipline. That's why it's important for us to do that. Hence, we have that. Our statement at the end, that we, the Remnant Bible Church, are committed to work. Uh-oh. That's not right. Did I give you the right thing? Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is session five. <laughs> right. Somebody gave me the wrong thing. I'm like, wait a second. I, I know I typed that. Right? We are resolved to exercise self-discipline. That will reveal the authenticity of our faith in Christ as a witness to our community. So I'm going to open it up in, in, uh, for questions or, or comments um, or conundrums. Um, here in a second, yeah, you can you can cut it off. 